This is the Sustain UW podcast, hosted by student interns from the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability. With help from professors, student activists, campus staff, and other guest experts, we're here to investigate common narratives of environmentalism and environmental issues and to question the status quo. What are the trade-offs of different behaviors and everyday choices? What are the environmental issues and innovations of the day? How have people contributed to the sustainability movement? And how can we use all of this information to further our own sustainability journeys? We want to know, what's up with sustainability and where should we go from here? But before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you that the opinions expressed on the show do not reflect the views of the Office of Sustainability, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. All right, um, where should we start off? Well, I, for one, am feeling very tired and exhausted, but I had three cups of coffee today. I had Starbucks coffee, so I feel like whenever I have coffee at, like, a restaurant or a cafe, like, they have really caffeinated coffee. Okay, I probably should have told you where I was going with this before I just launched <laughs> into a conversation about coffee, but I figured, <laughs> I figured we could talk about my coffee experience today because then that's a good launching point for single-use coffee cups <laughs> because that's the only conversation that I could think of. I'm Kylie. And I'm Rose. And we'll be your hosts for today's episode in the Wicked Problem series. As the Harvard Business Review explains, a wicked problem has innumerable causes, is tough to describe, and doesn't have a right answer. When it comes to sustainability, wicked problems seem to be everywhere. So in each episode of the series, we'll discuss the issues, impacts, and controversies of a sustainability-related problem in hopes of helping you deal with them in your everyday life. We'll use personal experience alongside academic research to give you the most realistic and credible assessment that we can. Today, we are going to talk about single-use plastics. We will start with some general facts, then transition to the role single-use plastics play in our lives, and finally discuss the environmental, social, and economic advantages and disadvantages of single-use plastic. Oh my gosh, I... uh, Let's go for it. Tell me about your coffee experience today. Yeah, so I had like two cups of Starbucks coffee because I was at this meeting earlier today and they had Starbucks coffee. And I absolutely like I love coffee. I don't know when I should cut myself off because I will just keep drinking it if people just give me free coffee. So I'm like, didn't get enough sleep last night, but I have like a few cups of coffee in me, which makes for a great combination for, you know, a podcast host. Let's start with asking what's good about them. Why are they useful? And so a good place to start is from our own experiences. We all use plastic, so I'm sure we all have something to say about it. For me, I love going to coffee shops, but because of COVID, many cafes no longer offer the option to bring your own mug. Or for the ones that do, if I don't bring my own mug, I use the single-use coffee cups they provide. Still, when I make my own coffee, I am a fan of the Keurig K-Cups, where I have coffee in a little plastic pod, I plop it into the coffee maker, press a button, and then my coffee is ready to go. The K-Cups are convenient and quick to use, but since most aren't recyclable, they are not the most environmentally friendly. (laughs) I came into that trouble with a lot of the food that I eat because it all comes in plastic wrapping and plastic packaging, and 
I just finished a bag of frozen blueberries this morning in my cereal and I looked for a recycling sign and there wasn't one. And so I had to throw it away, even though it seemed like it was plastic and it just was very frustrating to me. No, I know. I totally get that. And like a lot of times plastic is cheaper than Mm -hmm. like reusable or more environmentally friendly materials. Because, like, we're college students and we have different expenses, but, you know, working part-time, try to save money where we can. And, like, opting for, like, a plastic bottle versus, like, a glass bottle is, you know, one of those situations where, given the option, I'm going to go the more affordable route. Taking our experiences into consideration, one of the topics that we really wanted to research was why are single-use plastics so widely used in stores? It's cheaper, but is that all there is to it? That's a fair question. As I was researching for this episode, I learned there are many reasons for the ubiquitous plastic packaging in grocery stores. According to chemicalsafetyfacts.org, plastics are used in many types of food packaging and containers for a variety of reasons. They help protect food from damage, provide food safety, and extend the freshness of foods. So, single-use plastic is not as black and white as it may seem. There's more to it than its price tag. And researcher of environmental science at Macquarie University, Paul Harvey, separates single-use plastics into two categories, those we truly need and the rest we can live without. One example that he brings up in the category of those that we truly need is actually single-use plastic gloves, syringes, and vials used in hospitals and doctor's offices because they help prevent cross-contamination and are more affordable. Additionally, plastic pipettes, gloves, vials, and sample bags used in labs are more durable and can prevent cross-contamination of samples. The healthcare industry isn't the only place where plastic has value. Plastic is a more accessible resource because it is cheaper and requires minimal to no maintenance. This becomes increasingly more important in impoverished communities and emergency situations where resources and time may be limited. Like responding to emergencies and food and water insecurity, they all require food and water that are non-perishable and can be easily transported so that it may be distributed, as Paul Harvey puts it, when and where it is needed. Single-use plastic addresses these requirements. And because single-use plastic is lightweight, durable, and cheap, it makes transportation and distribution more effective. Another case that is not commonly considered is the role single-use plastics plays in individuals' lives with disabilities. Reading Paul Harvey's work, it was brought to my attention that some uses of single-use plastics may be unnecessary for most, but extremely important for others. The example Harvey provided was of people with disabilities who require the aid of a flexible plastic straw to eat and drink. While there are alternatives to plastic straws, such as silicone, the plastic straws are less maintenance and cheaper, which can be necessary for some families and caretakers. When talking about trade-offs and trying to find a balance, this is a really great way to approach it. It's even moment-to-moment, day-to-day, can I live without this? Can I find a substitute that won't harm the quality of my life or my mental health or my uh, bank account? Versus things that we really need, like the science equipment and medical equipment that prevents cross-contamination and the easily distributed lightweight plastic water bottles and food packaging systems that are used in emergency situations and like natural disasters. These are things that we truly need, whereas... My Oreo obsession. Do I really need you to pack Oreos today? (laughs) 
Probably not. Our, our plastic bags when we forget to use reusable bags. There's a lot of trade-offs when it comes to single-use plastics. So while a single-use plastic is good in some cases, like in emergencies, the healthcare industry, or for individuals with disabilities, it is bad in others. One of the first things that come to mind when I think of why plastic is bad for the environment is the ubiquitous litter of plastic bags and single-use water bottles. Visually, the stickers of plastic-filled turtles come to mind. These posters, stickers, and other mediums representing a turtle or seabird full of plastic convey the truth that most of the animal deaths caused by plastic are from entanglement and starvation. Birds, fish, sea turtles, and other wildlife will eat plastic bags and other single-use plastic litter, thinking it's food, and then get a false sense of being full without intaking any nutrients, which leads them to quickly starve. Plastic can holders, net bags, and plastic bags are common examples of single-use plastics that make their way into nature and entangle animals, strangling them, or causing severe injuries that can be life-threatening. When you talk about plastic, a lot of things that come to mind is, you know, the image of turtles with, like, a straw up its nose. You know, there's, like, stickers of, like, you know, plastic bags um, that turtles eat because they think it's, like, jellyfish. And another one that really stood out to me was this Chris Jordan's photo of an albatross carcass where its stomach was filled with trash. And in photos like that, it's impossible not to notice how plastic impacts wildlife, right? Because albatross live in more remote places and yet they're eating trash and feeding it to their young. at least 8 million tons of plastic enter our oceans. Scientists predict that there is going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050. Can you believe that? Plastic takes centuries to degrade, so it continuously builds up in the oceans. Plastic will, however, break down into smaller and smaller pieces over time. When plastic is less than 5 millimeters in length, it's called microplastics. Sometimes plastic not only degrades into microplastics, but plastic is intentionally made into this size, such as in microbeads, which can be found in items like beauty products and face washes. Although President Obama signed the Microbead Free Waters Act of 2015, which bans microbeads, the problem hasn't disappeared. The problem with microbeads is that they're so small that they can get through water treatment filtration systems and end up in our waterways where fish and other aquatic life consume them. When marine life eats plastic, it's not just a problem for them, but it's a problem for us too. Humans unknowingly ingest plastic from eating the fish or through the air, water, or other aspects of the environment. Scientists aren't sure the extent of damage or how much the body can tolerate of these microplastics. Some plastics have different toxicity levels than others or may pick up other chemicals in the environment before humans ingest them. However, scientists agree that the buildup of plastics can threaten the immune system. Some of the known effects are obesity, reproductive harm, and nutritional deficiencies, among many others. But is there a way to avoid eating microplastics? And the answer is it's difficult, if not impossible, to avoid them. However, there are some things we can do to try and reduce our intake. Funny thing is, 
One of those options is to not drink water from plastic water bottles and instead drink tap water. Studies have shown that plastic water bottles may contain twice as many microplastics as tap water. So all the more reason to avoid plastic. It's not just discarded single-use plastic that cause harm to humans, plant life, and wildlife. Plastic in general alters ecosystems at all stages of its life cycle. The extraction of materials to make plastic severely degrades the land, and plastic poses physical dangers to habitats. From the very beginning of its life cycle, plastic is polluting the environment, not just after we toss it into the trash. Looking around, it's easy to think that plastic is unlimited. After all, it's everywhere. But it's not. It is made from non-renewable resources, such as oil and natural gas, that require fracking or other damaging extraction methods. Needless to say, a fossil fuel extraction can lead to a variety of consequences, including oil spills, water contamination, and the proliferation of climate change. In his novel, How Bad Are Bananas?, Mike Berner-Lee breaks down the carbon footprint of numerous products, habits, and lifestyles. Carbon footprint is a metaphor for the impact that greenhouse gases have on climate change and, in general, the planet. The common unit used for carbon footprinting and used by Mike Berner-Lee in How Bad Are Bananas is CO2E. The E stands for equivalent. CO2E is a unit that describes the effect of all greenhouse gases regarding climate change, expressed in how much CO2 would cause the same impact. According to Mike Berners-Lee, the carbon footprint of one kilogram of different plastics range from 1.9 pounds to 20 pounds. Mathematically speaking, if you multiply this by the 35.77 million tons of plastic the U.S. generated in 2018, it equates to the carbon footprint of roughly 17.77 million tons. To put this into perspective, according to the EPA, this is equivalent to over 446 billion miles driven by an average passenger vehicle. The greater the demand for plastics, the greater the demand for fossil fuels. Production will generate an estimated 1.34 gigatons of greenhouse gases each year by 2030. Or, to put simply, the same amount of greenhouse gases produced by 295 new 500-megawatt coal-fired power plants. Meanwhile, only 9% of plastic is recycled and made into something new. In 2018, landfills collected 27 million tons of plastic, and it can take centuries for plastic to decompose. Another common disposal method for plastic is incineration, which is when plastic is burned to create heat and steam and generate power. Although this does divert some plastic from landfills, incineration can lead to toxic chemical emissions in the air. It's important to mention that those toxic emissions can cause cancer and lung disease, which leads to problems with breathing and delivering oxygen to your bloodstream. Toxic emissions aren't only produced from incineration. Plastic production also emits these toxic chemicals. These toxic emissions disproportionately affect marginalized communities, particularly those who live close to production or waste sites. In 2018, a report published by the EPA showed that communities of color were exposed to greater amounts of air pollution associated with plastic production. The cycle of when the plastic was created to when it eventually decomposes is called the cradle-to-grave life cycle analysis. That's a great way to phrase it. Cradle-to-grave, from the beginning of life to its end, I think it's easier to remember instead of some long scientific name. Right. What the life cycle analysis does is it tracks a product from when it's made to when it gets disposed and starts to degrade, 
and the impacts that it has throughout its entire life. So for instance, the greenhouse gases that were used to create plastic, how it could harm wildlife or people, or what happens when it's in the landfill. And so cradle to grave fits the life cycle of single-use plastics, but what about recyclables that don't end up in landfills? Do they have a cradle to grave life cycle analysis? No, they do not. <laughs> So the alternative to cradle-to-grave analysis is something called cradle-to-cradle, which is a circular life cycle. Instead of getting thrown away and starting to decompose into the land, it gets recycled or reused and continues its life in a new way. Cradle-to-cradle sounds optimistic and positive, but unfortunately, our society and economy runs <laughs> largely on a throwaway culture that disconnects the consumers and results in usable resources becoming waste in a landfill. Yeah, that's something that I find really frustrating. A saying that I learned while I was doing a permaculture design course in Israel is nothing is waste until it's wasted. And as consumers, there are many creative ways that we can reuse these items we buy instead of just throwing them away or recycling them. For example, plastic bags can be woven to make carpets. That's a great thing to bring up. Just like the plastic entanglement exhibit at the Chazen, um, where some of the artists use plastic to create art, there's an abundance of plastic waste. So why not make something out of it? The other alternative, other than reusing it personally or throwing it away, is recycling, which is great. However, some people, including myself, recycle materials that are not actually recyclable. This is known as wish cycling. Recycling occurs when people don't know if something is recyclable or not, so they recycle it thinking it's better to be safe than sorry. I have done this on more than one occasion. Sometimes I wish something is recyclable, but if it's not, I figure that it'll eventually get sorted out. Recently, I learned that doing that can create more of a problem. Unfortunately, recycling items like single-use coffee cups or pizza boxes that aren't actually recyclable can contaminate the load of recyclables, making them all unrecyclable. Contrary to popular belief, when it comes to recycling, when in doubt, actually throw it out. However, rather than throwing everything out and risking throwing away recyclables, the best way to prevent wish cycling is to learn about what's recyclable and what isn't. For more information on what plastics can and cannot be recycled in Wisconsin, go to the DNR website and look at their recycling page where they have an entire section on what is banned. When you do choose to use a reusable object or when you are trying to be mindful of it, that makes you a great environmental steward. And any other decisions that are made, that's just you being a human being. And no one's perfect all the time. And I think society isn't even set up for us to be successful at the moment. It's really hard to fully be zero waste. I don't even know if it's possible, honestly, especially for college students because we have a limited access to food and different materials that we can actually buy it's pretty much just what's on campus for most people yeah like how do we go about like grocery shopping when everything's like wrapped in plastic mm -hmm. you know like, we can't avoid it like plastic is everywhere as we have demonstrated in this episode single-use plastics are very complicated too complicated to be fully covered in a short podcast episode we recommend that you do some research and learn more about the subject now that we have given you a baseline to build off of the more you learn, the more educated decisions you can make.
thanks to the Director of the Office of Sustainability, Missy Nuregard, and to the Director of Sustainability Education and Research, Andrea Hicks. Thanks to Nathan Yandel, Assistant Director of and De Facto Communications Expert of the Office of Sustainability, and to Tin Lindstrom, Director of the OS Student Intern Program. Thanks to the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies and to the Facilities Planning and Management. The making of this episode required a lot of behind-the-scenes work from the entire OS podcast team, which consists of Rose Adler Reppin, Norma Barron Martinez, Gwen Kelly, Cora Clemmy, Eliza Lindley, Grace Martin, and Kylie Thomason. Until next time, continue thinking about how to best sustain UW.